A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Data is a team sport, learning to collaborate through data. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Andrew Pease, who's the field CTO of North Europe at Salesforce. To be clear, though, he was only representing his own views in the episode. So what are some key takeaways or thoughts from Andrew's point of view, and mostly actually written or, or rewritten by him? Number one, sensitizing people to data and improving their data influency can be a challenge. Lots of people have had some less than perfect past experiences. Perhaps a dry abstract class has given them what he called statistics trauma. It's important to make it digestible for them to get started. Number two, organizations typically evolve into silos. So IT systems and approaches often evolve into silos too. You know, that's Conway's law. The bigger those organizations and silos are, the harder they are to bridge and the deeper the divides. So be prepared for that. Much as we'd like one, there isn't a single silver bullet for all organizations when it comes to architecture to overcome these silos. Number four, without relevant IT architectures and processes, it can be challenging to put relevant and timely data and actionable insights into the business people's workflows. You won't get it, you know, quote unquote, perfect the first time, but get started and learn to improve through experience. It's okay to put something in front of them as, and tell them, hey, we're figuring out how to make sure that you get the actionable information that you need. Let's integrate this into your workflow. Let's let's exchange that information back and forth. Number five, you should reiterate to people that data is there to augment their role. 
not to replace it. It's there to help them be more efficient and successful in their work. That's a key part of data fluency, not just understanding how to use data, but where data can help. Number six, feedback loops are very important to increase data quality levels and data value. It's important to build in these loops to make end users feel like they are part of a constant and never-ending improvement exercise. It shouldn't be a big burden, but data quality is a team sport. Number seven, it's important for data consumers to understand not only the potential of data and analytics, but also the limitations such as you can't reliably score lead quality from simply a person's name and their email address. That needs to be, the data needs to be represented enough to find useful patterns. Number eight, AI should be perceived in the enterprise as augmented intelligence. It is there to make the human in the loop better. Again, not to replace them. Number nine, it is crucial to inform operational teams, you know, the data producers, about what data might be needed in the future, not just now. And then incentivize those data producers to actually create and maintain quality data products. If all we do is ask, it will likely get lost in the, you know, operational priorities, right? It's going to get deprioritized. Number 10, anecdotal feedback on what data is being used and is useful is great but it's not going to tell the actual full story, right? Make sure to create ways to track usage and measure impact of data work through tools as well, that you get kind of the quantitative and the qualitative. Number 11, data hackathons can be a great way to set up some cross-domain collaboration and improve data fluency, but also knowledge of other domains in the organization as a whole. Number 12, it's vital to figure out how to get people excited about data in combination with incentivizing them to do so in appropriate contexts. Number 13, IT and the business side need to meet and collaborate in order to make data a crucial and embedded aspect of everyone's roles. Something that I think is a little controversial that Andrew had said was that they both need to go past 50%, right? You need to go more than halfway because otherwise you're both trying to say, well, I'm at halfway when you're both at like 45%. (laughs) So you're not really meeting in the middle. Number 14, as always, communication is crucial, especially around reorganization of data teams and competencies. A clumsy reorg will certainly alienate and possibly infuriate people. Number 15, quote unquote, the most complex systems that we have in our organizations isn't a computer. It's the people who are operating the computers. When we think about the composable enterprise, we need to think about the humans in the loops and how and where they interface. And finally, number 16, look to have a standardized way to bring people to better data fluency. Many different roles have budgets for ongoing training in their field. Everyone should have that for data, and it should be part of any organization's new employee ramp period, too. Quick note on this one before we jump in. Um, Andrew is talking about organizations that are doing data mesh or not. Right. So a lot of this will be talking about central IT and kind of how that works with everything. So take that with uh, the kind of that lens and that perspective. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode.
Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Andrew Pease here, who's the field CTO of North Europe for Salesforce. Um, to be clear, though, he is not representing his company. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk about a lot of different things, but I think especially when we look at something like Salesforce and and um, all these other kind of apps that are facing kind of non-data people, how do we think about embedding data easily into people's day-to-day work so we don't have these multiple pains that people have to try and jump around when they're trying to figure out, hey, should I call this company? Is this the right time? Or, you know, is this company, this customer at risk? And then we're going to focus on on some stuff about how do we think about getting out of the idea of somebody asked me an exact question, I'm going to give them an exact answer versus having that communication back and forth of, how do we figure out what you're trying to do and how do we maximize the value of what you're trying to do instead of literally exactly what you, you asked me. And then we'll get into a lot of other kind of interesting uh, topics. You know, Andrew's very good at, at bringing up since he works in kind of the sales related field, he's uh, very, very good at bringing up very relevant examples. So I'm, I'm excited for that. And then we'll dive into a lot of that stuff. So before we get into that though, um, Andrew, if you don't mind, if you could give people a bit of uh, an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sure, Scott. Um, thanks very much for the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, I've been working with data uh, my whole career, and uh, data is really the core of what I think about each and every day. I like to think of data in my day-to-day life as the sixth sense. We can talk a little bit more about that later, but data's always been central to what I've been doing. I worked at SAS for many years. I worked at Deloitte for many years, managing a big data science team. And now I'm working at uh, Salesforce as field CTO. And what I do in that job is I work with some of our top customers, their CTOs, their CIOs, CDOs, to help them think past what we're doing right now with Salesforce and with the overall architecture of their of their organizations, their IT and data architectures, to try to think more medium and long term about how to how to build digital success in those organizations, how to take their legacy strengths and make them uh, digitally successful and really trying to be the partner in IT for, for breeding that success. And I think that's a really interesting angle on on thinking about all of our tools. It, if everything is super, super separate, then, you know, it's kind of like the the concept that uh, Jamak has kind of uh, railed against in, in certain senses of everything is so separate and disparate and like that, okay, you know, my Salesforce is literally only for my CRM instead of it's part of my greater ecosystem of information flow about my customers and my prospects and things like that. And that it's all, you know, it can become a big mess if you're trying to, to, if you don't put some bounds around things, but at the same point, if, if, there's a super, super hard boundary between handoffs around, um, you know, yes, you should have that from an API perspective or whatever, that <laughs> not all of your systems meld together, but that it's all in service of one thing instead of, okay, I'm going to have this BU is completely separate and like this uh, or this uh, domain of, of sales. They're they're just the salespeople and the only way you interact with them is this way or this way or this way and that it all kind of fits into one big picture. Well, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said there, but I think definitely the way organizations 
sort of organically evolve, they, they, they tend to evolve in more like silos. And, and so the IT systems that are supporting them also tend to evolve into these silos. And that, that only gets more apparent and, and more obvious when companies get bigger and the larger the organization, the more siloed these departments tend to be. And it's, it's super important to try to break through those silos. If you're talking about a CRM system in a sales or a marketing context, they need to be hyper aware of what's happening, for example, in the service department. So if there's any indications that are that there's something going wrong there that a customer is complaining. The very worst thing that can happen, this is, this actually happened to me once um, that I, 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 had, I was complaining with an organization. I don't even want to get too specific about it because I don't want them to, to, to map it to a specific organization or whatever. We don't, we don't want to slap anyone on the fingers. But I was complaining about something that morning and I actually got a marketing offer for that specific thing in the afternoon. And that's just, it, it, it's, it's clear the one didn't trigger the other. In fact, the trick, the one should have blocked the other, but it's really the right hand of the organization, not knowing what the left hand of the organization is doing. And, and when we try to map that kind of disconnect to IT and, and how is IT going to, to, to do better at that. You, you mentioned, should, should it be, should be APIs or events? Should it be a, a push or a pull context going from those different silos to make sure that all happens? I don't think there's a silver bullet architecture for solving all of that. I think it's about what's in place and how can you make incremental steps towards doing that better in the organization, having both the short, medium, and long-term objectives of how you're going, of, of how you're going to do that and the, the steps you're going to take to get there. You, you don't have the IT magic wand? I thought, I thought that's no, what you were doing. No, no, no. I, do we need to just uh, wrap things up here right now? Because <laughs> that's what I was going to, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. no, unfortunately not. So, I think that that does transition well into what we were um, looking at talking about first, which was embedding data into your daily flows, right? Meeting people where they are instead of having these multiple panes of, of glass that you have to jump, you know, from thing to thing to thing to try and tie it all together in your head. Like, you know, and it doesn't happen overnight if somebody's not doing that already. But like, how are you seeing people move towards that? And are, are you seeing one, one problem that I've noticed a lot in communication around data is data folks think that people want the data when the, hmm. the people that are doing the thing want the insight or the insight and the so what? Like, what should I do with this? Not even just, hey, this customer's usage has increased, you know, 20% in the last month. And it's like, okay, is, is that because they're doing a bunch of extracts and they're trying to get off of the system? Or is that that they've added a bunch of new reps or like, you know, if I'm thinking in the CRM specific uh, aspect, like how have you seen people make that transition and, and how quickly can you make the transition from, you know, not embedding into their workflows versus like, okay, we're actually putting more and more in and incrementalizing instead of, okay, it has to be all perfect up front. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, first of all, starting where you where you ended there, making it all perfect up front, that's 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 not going to happen. And getting to that narrative, I would almost call it, of what you want the data to tell 
those end users is is an important part of the journey. And I think it can work on both ends. I think on the user end or the you know the the, the information consumer end of it, we've seen a lot of success. And when I was working at Deloitte, we did programs on that for data fluency, for actually helping people to not be afraid of the big AI bad wolf or not be afraid of, of analytics or even be afraid of their computer, like to really help sensitize to them what's behind the data. What, what, what are we trying to enable you with by giving you this data? We're not trying to, to take your job away. We're just trying to, we're trying to make you smarter while you do that. And I think that whole idea of data as a sixth sense, just really augmenting what you're doing in your in your daily jobs if you're if you're a customer rep knowing that the customer has complained about something that's that's of course super relevant if you also can know what other similar types of customers have have been offered and successfully accepted in similar cases that's very relevant and it's all about sensitizing the end user to how the data can can eventually help them now that's part of it, but then getting the data there in a usable form um, can be an, also a, a significant part of the challenge. And, and that means having the right data available, first of all, um, capturing it, making sure there's a, a suitable amount of data quality there, because you never get a second chance to make a first impression in terms of bringing a rolling out a CRM system. You want to make sure that that data is is of a suitable level of quality and if, if if it's not we can probably talk a little bit more about data quality later but um then 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 you're going to have hiccups in rolling out that system um and then it's also about what what do you present when and the only way that you can really let the system get smarter at doing that is building in feedback loops into the system and really making the system able to learn from what has been true and tried by the different end users and then and all the different campaigns or 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 um, uh, customer contacts that you've had, really just trying to collect the best practices and optimize the system based on 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 what those best practices would be. Trying to really intelligently filter the data to be able to find those best practices. And when you say that the system, do you mean specifically only the the actual, you know, uh, electronic type systems, or do you mean the overall ecosystem system? Because I think a lot of times what we look at is, okay, this feedback loop has to be automatic, or it has to be that the, the system itself versus like, you know, and, and one thing that you said about there, of the, the kind of first impression, I'm hoping we can get to a place where we can tell people, this quality level is bad right now, but we want to get it in front of you to see if this is the right interface. If this is the, the type of information that you would want, it's not trustful right now, so you can't act on it. But is this what you want? And like, how can we get to that? So like kind of how do you, how do you involve the people element in that, that trusting each other to have that conversation and improve kind of your overall uh, workflows and things like that. Yeah. And I, I think part of 
spotting data quality issues is really getting the data out in front of people. And I think that's, that, that's a little bit of what you're talking about there is, okay, we, 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 we are very conscious of the fact that this particular data that we're, we're now bringing into, for example, your CRM system isn't necessarily of the highest quality, but we want to expose you to it or expose perhaps a, a, a select group of power users or trailblazers. We, we, we use that term a lot in Salesforce about those who are really trying to push the envelope in terms of innovation and, 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 and trying to see where, where the data can take the organization. I think having that pushed a little bit to those types of users certainly can have a lot of advantage and then give insights back to the to the data product owners or the data teams we could, this is a data mesh podcast we'll probably talk about the data products somewhere in the in the discussion um or 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 whether in in a lot of organizations they still have centralized data teams obviously pushing those insights back to the data owners so that they can they can do what they need to but also helping the CRM system users to understand that they're a big part of the data quality, obviously, that when they create a customer record, having as much data in that record as possible, as complete a record as possible, as as accurate a record as possible is is helping the system to get better and stronger for all the users, um, including those who will be working on your customer uh, downstream in the value chain. Well, and I think it it helps as well that conversation to figure out what actually matters, right? Oh, we think that we need to have a ninety nine, you know, five nines completeness, and it's like this is asking for their Twitter handle, right? Yeah. Or this is ha- asking yeah, yeah. for their Instagram handle or something like that. And you know, especially I get asked for my Instagram handle on a bunch of things. And I'm like, I, I don't have Instagram. Why would I have Instagram? Like, no, 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 no. And, and yeah, for, yeah, no, come on. We need to fill in this field. We need to have, that's, that's, that's finding the right balance, of course. But maybe just give you another extreme. You know, one of the things we do with, with our Einstein AI product is lead scoring in a CRM system. And I, I was actually on a project before I joined Salesforce where the lead table predominantly had a customer name and an email address and they wanted to do lead scoring on that. <laughs> it was like, yeah, you know, um, we'd love to have that crystal ball that says, Oh, this particular cusp, but you need, you need a little bit more data than that. Like the industry, like, like the geographic location, maybe something to know about, about the potential, uh, the market potential for this particular customer or, or whatever you need something more for an AI to, to, to work on than than the name and the email address. I mean, even the email address, you could, is the domain somehow relevant, but, but that's probably stretching it a little bit. So you have to have a little bit more data than that. And it's trying to find the balance between your 999 uh, 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 excellence in terms of data completion and, 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 and having too sparse a record, uh, or we'll just get the name in there so that we, uh, so that so that we're compliant with the system and we can move on in the system. I think it's it's finding the balance somewhere. Well, and for a second, I thought when you were saying customer name, you were thinking you were saying like company customer, but you were saying just like a, an individual person and their email address. And how how good is this? 
are you kidding me? <laughs> you go sit in the corner. You're in timeout. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but the, even even with a B two B context where it's a corporation name, indeed, if you have the if they have the the name, then you can maybe go somewhere else and get the industry and the number of employees and the revenue or or whatever to then do that type of a of a lead scoring or customer segmentation. But knowing that that is going to be part of the process you need to do to enrich that data. Um, and whether, again, whether it's somebody typing that in, hopefully there's a better way of doing that once you type in the company name of enriching that data for whatever type of, of uh, AI or segmentation or whatever you want to do with that, with that uh, entry later. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that's all uh, something that, that a lot of people, kind of can skip over because they're like, again, I, I'm told I need to do X, so I do X. And it's like, no, we need to be kind of human in the loop. Like this is where when people say AI is going to replace a lot of us and it's just like, no, like <laughs> no. a couple of things maybe, but like, no. No, no. In fact, I, I, gave, a, I gave a presentation earlier today at a customer event and the, the guy before me, who who's, who's sort of one of these marketing gurus, he used the term that I love and I use it all the time. Instead of artificial intelligence, it's augmented intelligence and really not replacing the human in the loop, just making the human in the loop better at what they do. And um, I, th- I think that's, that's really – and th- that said, we all have to be super aware of AI and what it's doing in our lives and and – work very proactively to keep it very human centric there there's there's risk but i think generally when we're talking about ai in a crm context it 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 is it is that it's really how can we take the data that we have intelligently filter it find useful patterns and present those in a way in a narrative to the end users so that they can be better at their jobs yeah, I, I think there's only one kind of large company that got to most of where they were without a large sales team. And that's that's, uh, you know, what I guess in, in the context I'm thinking of Atlassian, they, you know, okay. the Jira folks and all that, they, they didn't have a sales team famously for a long time. But yeah. outside of that, everybody else has a sales team for a reason. So it's like these interactions work, they make they make a lot of sense. And so, yeah. So I, I, we were talking about in the pre-call about like, there's this focus on answering exact questions, right? Like instead of what is the data telling us? It's like, I want you to tell me the exact answer to this versus like, what can I glean from what I've learned? And like, how have you found getting people out of that? Like, how do we think about that? And that's kind of the same thing with data pipelines where you're like, it must go through step one, then step two, then step three, then step four, instead of like, what are we trying to do here? Like, how how do you have that conversation, you know, maybe with the the execs that are far, far removed? Because that's, I think, going to be helpful for the audience around when they're having those conversations up with, you know, the CDO, the CIO, the CEO and saying, hey, like, let's focus on what matters instead of this exact or, or trying to get overly exact on things instead of taking in the feedback and adjusting as it comes. Yeah, and I I, I I I would go back to what I said already. I think there's there's a two two folded approach to trying to get that right. It's about sensitizing those board members to 
data and and data fluency and doing it in a way that doesn't frighten them off. One of the the things I talk about a lot is the statistics trauma a lot of people in industry have had in their lives. Somewhere along the line, they had a boring, dry statistics class. And unfortunately, that's left a bitter taste in their mouth. And we need we need to help get around. I I I actually uh, was speaking to and again I don't want to get too specific because I don't want to I want to I don't want to point to the specific professor, but to a young person who was in a sociology program had a had a, uh, a statistics course and their professor on the first day of course said, "You guys know this this is a class most people fail," and the person sitting next to you, one of them will have failed it. I would love to be in that class and say, yes, so what are you doing wrong? Because you're the common element in all those failures. And it's about making it so abstract and dry instead of applied. Statistics can be so fascinating. So, um, and I, I guess you can tell it's kind of a passion for me, but like making it digestible to all of those end years and to the board levels. Some organizations are starting to look at it by actually having a board member, the CDO, or at least a minus one who has the CDO, chief data officer title, who, who is responsible for at least thinking in terms of every business challenge and every, every strategic objective that the organization is trying to move forward on as if it's part of their digital um, digital innovations or whatever, making sure that there's a seat at the table who is looking at it through a data lens. Okay. Yeah. And that person also has to, of course, be very knowledgeable or at least in touch with the, the technical people who are in charge of the data, who are gathering the data, because, because by the way, what data we choose to gather Will will obviously influence what insights we're able to get out of it, and and it could be that some of the data that we're gathering or storing isn't all that relevant. There might be a lot of um, of, of of replication in in the different data that you're in in the trends that you can pull out of those of those different data sources, um, and some of the data that we should be capturing we're not just because that conversation isn't going so well between business and IT. So there's there's a whole new and you you've, you've heard about data whispers or the or the citizen data scientists or all these different titles that have come up for people who can try to speak both languages. You can speak business, who can speak data and who can speak technology and can at least try to bring those objectives a little bit more closely and I I uh I like to think I'm one of the people who can do that, but there's 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 room to grow in the in the market out there for the people who can do that. And I think having first of all starting with statistics classes that don't alienate people be a really good start, but also maybe you know Python classes just to understand. Okay, this is how you how your technical colleagues are dealing with data on a day in day out basis, so that you understand a little bit about what they're trying to do. So that you can help to guide them in terms of, of always keeping a business relevancy in it. Yeah, and I think I don't know if it will be collapsed in the same role, but I've I've been thinking that it almost splits into two different roles. So you've got the chief data officer who's in charge of your data strategy, and then you have your chief strategy via data officer who is partnering with every other high level, you know, uh, 
you know, business unit head or um, other execs and saying, what is the information you're going to need? Like, let's talk about what is your, what is your strategy or what, what could be your strategy? What do you want to look into? How do we back into that? How do we set ourselves up? So when you want to answer that question in six months, we don't start to collect the data in six months. What is your roadmap? What is the things where you want to answer this question? And it's okay. Yeah. We we can add, like, there is significant value in, I, I, I had an episode recently, and I'm going to be writing up more about this, of like, how do you value data work? And there seems to be this desire to put a dollar value on it. And it's like, but that's results focused versus how much value did we create by not making a bad decision, right? Hey, should we go into this space? Let's go spend the time to figure out if we should do that. And you spend, you know, say even a large company, $10 million. And the answer is no. Was that wasted money? No, because you thought maybe we should go into this space and you you invalidated the hypothesis that you should go into it. And so you saved yourself so much time, money, focus, like, but Effort, how wasted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- th- but those are hard things to quantify. Absolutely, absolutely. I think maybe maybe one other, you're talking about the six-month, one-year pipeline that we need to be able to give to our data teams. I think there's another side of this as well. You have operational systems that are in place. And we need to be very, uh, make it a very uh, bi-directional conversation with those system owners about what's possible as well. We can have these high goals for, I want to know this, this, and this, and this about all our customers. But if the operational systems aren't ready for that, or if you're in the middle of a migration or all these different things, we need we, we don't want to push unrealistic expectations onto those operational systems. And that's maybe in, in trying to tie this a little bit to the whole data mesh concept and what I really find so wonderful about decentralizing a lot of these processes is there needs to be somebody in those operational systems who owns the data quality, who is, who, who is incentivized on the data quality in those systems, uh, having somebody in a centralized team who's going to bring that data together, clean it up, and make it magically relevant for everybody. I think we've learned through all the waves of data warehouses, data lakes, that that just doesn't always work that well, especially the bigger the organization. So one of the things we really need to try to think about is having a data product owner, or at least a data quality owner, within those operational systems, within your SAP team with, or your ERP system, within your CRM system, within all those systems that owns the data quality, takes feedback, has KPIs or, or whatever, and is incentivized to make sure that that data quality is, 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 is top quality and that those data products are available to all the different uh, teams. Well, and, and that, 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 again, that bi-directional, that like collaborative, that this is where I think at most, most organizations are, are offering data as a service because they're like, you get what you get or, you know, something like that versus, you know, I, I've talked about my concept of a data Shrek, which is like a purposeful swamp of <laughs> where, where people can't consume from it because the, the water is not clean enough or anything like that. Right, right, right. But, but it helps people to understand the art of the possible, right? Like 
what data do we have? What could be possible? What questions could we answer? And then it also generates that question, you know, um, I'm probably going to write a long rant relatively soon on on data contracts because I was one of the, the the people that that hit on that a little early and then like tried to dig into it and nobody was really willing to talk about it. Now, you know, it's yeah. this huge thing. But um, that so much of this is this idea of I give you what what I decide to give you instead of what do you actually need, right? That that bi-directional conversation where, you know, the system owner assumes that this is what people want. And it's like, no, I don't really care about that. You're putting in a lot of yeah. effort to do this. It doesn't make any sense. Or this is the thing that's of most value. Focus on this or focus on this first and let's incrementally get to that. But also, hey, consumers, it's not a one or a zero of I am putting something out there and it is perfect. Like, let's have that iterative feedback that iterative approach to building together and and how about let's use the system itself to determine what's actually been useful and what hasn't been useful it's not just we have we all have our personal biases and insights about what what we think needs to be done what data needs to be collected in order to optimize the business and and the data scientists or the data teams feel that they have sort of the insights as to what data is necessary. The business feel like they have that, but let's, let's, let's test all of that. Let's, let's make sure that the data that we are collecting, that we finally agree on that it is actually bringing the actual value and, and constantly challenge that. And, and, once we once we make the step to using algorithms to to when the for next best offers or whatever whatever um, uh, whatever context you're thinking about using that for, let's let's test that and 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 make sure that whatever models we're using that they stay relevant and and I think I think that's 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 something that gets lost in the discussion as well that feedback loop really really weighing leaning into that. So that so that we can get smarter and really let the system tell us to a certain degree which directions we should be going in our in our next innovations. Well, and that's what you mentioned earlier about the siloed thinking of like, okay, if I'm in a silo, then I've got this little bit of bridge in between maybe one silo and the next, or yeah, I have to have yeah. this oh, custom yeah. thing oh, yeah. for communication versus like, hey. Let's make sure and and that not every single conversation is requirements gathering or anything like that. It's like, hey, let's let's have a jam session. Like let's or let's sit down and and have a lunch and learn and we just talk and we just share context and that we we back up instead of trying to always be so focused on what am I exactly trying to get out of this conversation instead of can we learn from each other? Can we get to a place of, oh, you're actually trying to achieve X. I thought you were trying to achieve Y. So I've been setting you up to really, really deliver on Y, but it's X. Okay, I can actually cut off my delivery time. I told you it was going to be six weeks. It's going to be three. And and mm. you really only care about these like five fields really and the rest are nice to have? Okay, that means that I can cut down my cost of maintenance and then I can give you this other field, which you didn't know I have, that is super helpful because it gives you this incremental content. And then it's like, oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's horse trading, right? And yeah. it's not, it's collaborative negotiation instead of combative negotiation. 
if you can set up those those internal uh, hackathons, they can really turn into that kind of a data jam session format. You're talking. You got to do it right, though. Don't <laughs> don't don't just set up a hackathon because everybody's doing hackathons. Um, and it's it's usually a good idea to get somebody in there who's done one before, who can help you to do that. Because a big part of that is that is that data fluency making sure everybody's on the same page when you get started in terms of terminology in terms in terms of things like that trying to have cross departmental or cross domain teams in your hackathon teams don't put all your data scientists in one team put all your business analysts in one team that you know that that's that that's a simple mistake that can lead to uh, having a bad taste in the organizational mouth for uh for for hackathons but if you do those hackathons right that that, that I, I love the idea of a, of a data jam session with you know the the bassists of the of the business analysts the the drummer of the data science team the board members who are lead guitarists and singers that they can they can they can really put some nice songs together during those uh during those those uh jamathons jamathon i like that <laughs> Well, and you keep using the the phrase data fluency instead of literacy, which I think helps because people think of literacy as that one or a zero of are you literate or illiterate versus like how fluent are you with data? And I think that's what we were talking about a lot in the pre-call as well of, of so much of this is conceptually in people's head of is the data right or is it wrong versus how much can I trust it? And being like clear about how much can I trust it? This isn't switches to flip. This is okay, it's not a one or a zero, like, and how do we, how have you found that when you're talking, I mean, I'm assuming most of the people you're dealing with on a counterparty basis are relatively fluent around data, right? They may not be able to go in and and do all of the um, exact, you know, Python, you know, programming aspect of it. But like, when you're talking about that, this is gradients, that this is, you know, shades of, of gray or whatever, that how how willing are people to accept that right you know it's nice to say that that everybody should be okay with understanding this but if they're not then great would that we could but eh. yeah somebody made the joke after the presentation earlier today well if if they're not willing to learn that's a good time to to start Firing and hiring, and that's a complete ridiculous way of, of putting it. the the idea. Though, is that look, data data is is all around us, and it's it's really core to solving big challenges. And I I, I really believe that not just not just in the in the CRM world, or it's it's if we want to if we want to be more proactive for better health outcomes. We absolutely need to bring more data into the mix, but and then and then of course that brings data privacy and all those those topics into it. I think it's it's really about how do you get people excited about how data is part of the solution rather than being fearful of of big bad AI and 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 all all the big big corporations sucking up our data and, 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 and those are real issues. I'm not, I, 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 I write about the, the, the perils of, of too much concentrated data in corporate hands. I think what we, what we really need to, to do though in the organizational context is make, look, if we all want to make this organization a collective success, 
data is going to be part of it. And either you could say either you're with us or you're not with us, but we want to help you. And, and if, if there are things you don't understand, don't be afraid to come and, and talk. And th- those, those types of jam sessions where you see, oh, those data scientists actually are real people and I don't have to be afraid of them. And we can talk about different things as well. Bringing, the, bringing those groups of people together is certainly a good step uh, t- towards, towards, towards getting that resolved. Uh, how, how much of this do you think is... So, I mean, I, I liked what you were saying there and, and kind of what I was taking from a lot of the, a lot of your underlying statements is just like make this a fun and non-scary process to learn and that there's an understanding that you aren't, you know, you aren't now uh, a data idiot and you will be, you know, a, a data god in, in, you know, three weeks versus like, hey, this is important. It can accelerate what you do. It can make you more effective, which will make you more valuable to the organization, but it's also more valuable to your career. It makes you more valuable to any organization. And let's make this fun. Let's not make this scary. Let's not make this, if you don't learn it, get out. Or if you're not willing to learn it, it's like, how how do we gamify it? Yeah, gamifying it is is an important part of it. It's also, it's just about being an informed consumer of data. And to a certain extent, an informed consumer of statistics. We, we, and that's not just in your corporate life. That's in your in your everyday life. You know, people throw statistics around all, all the time in all kinds of uh, uh, newspaper articles. And sometimes, you know, you, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. But just by somehow being an informed consumer of what what is that particular statistic that they're telling us really take, and is that is that an absolute number or an absolute uh, data point that that black or white makes our decision for us or, or how do we just use that in its context? Like I, I've, I've said, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big data evangelist. I, I, I really believe that data helps us. I don't think data is the answer for everything, that there is a black and white answer. Just throw more data at a problem and you'll find, find the answer. I don't, I don't think that's the case. It helps us to come to better decisions, but it, uh, it doesn't, it, we're not to the point where it makes the decisions for us yet. Well, there, there's the, those memes around, uh, you know, data science, a p-value of, of 0.0501 and everybody's, oh, and but 0.0499. And it's like, yay, we, we, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, the yeah, difference yeah. between those is, is nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's irrelevant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much do you think this is, a lot of what you're talking about is bringing the people um, from non-data uh, fluent levels up up in the fluency chart. How much do you think of this as also meeting people where they are and that we need to have the data people learn? It's funny, a lot of the people that come on say, when we try and teach the data people the business, it's, it's just this <laughs> nightmare struggle versus teaching the business people about data typically goes much better. And so what do you think is the role of of the data people in how they become business fluent and how to but if you're a centralized team and you know do you have to learn about every single business unit which is again the kind of what we've talked about with the decentralization and so like it's all kind of chicken and egg and it becomes a big mess but like how much do you think is on the data people to learn more or or how much of the business do you think they have to learn as much as much 
I think it's that the, the onus is on them as much. If, if we want to create this yin yang synergy between business and IT, everybody's got to, got to meet the other side more than halfway. Okay. Now what's the ultimate way for an organization to make sure that happens? Again, I don't think there's a silver bullet for that. I've seen in some organizations you could have data, you could, you could have uh, business residencies where uh, uh, somebody from a, from an IT team uh, focuses on a particular business unit for a particular amount of time. They sit in on some meetings. They have a buddy within that team who's, who's explaining to them what's happening. I think that works very, very well. You, you could have them, um, you could, you could totally decentralize the teams, but then, then there's that, um, the, the lack of sharing best practices across the different silos. And I think that's, that's something that's very, very important. You can have a rotation of across the different business units, which I think is also really important because what I've seen, for example, data scientists can be very good at taking something that worked in one department and trying it in another department. If they have that in their toolkit already, but first checking with the business, Hey, does this make sense? Or does this, is this something that would be relevant for you? You know, we've, 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 we've clustered our customers uh, is clustering our, our, our production facilities also relevant based on data. I don't know. It, it, it's, it's really about trying to, uh, to, to, to find the way to get them uh, to understand that the business is what's driving their work. Um, but that, yeah, it doesn't work equally across uh, all people. And, you know, some, you know, Hardcore coders who are just doing their, their coding. I just tell me what to code and I will code it. And that, that sometimes you just need team leads who can help, help take care of them. There's, there's again, there's not one silver bullet. The more that IT can come to business though, the more that business is going to come to IT and we can, we can start to create that yin yang of synergy between the two teams. Yeah, the, especially what you talked about, the decentralization, that's come up in a lot of episodes or as a hidden underlying theme that people aren't even realizing that they're worried about or talking about. But, uh, you know, Kineret Kimi at uh, Blah Blah Car, which is still one of my favorite company names of all time, just Blah Blah Car. <laughs> um, I've never they, heard of it before. Yeah, they're they're a ride sharing company in kind of uh, in, in Europe and in, in India. But um, they... Um, so they, uh, when they start, first started doing their data mesh implementation, they did one team of a POC and they had kind of a squad level. So they didn't even decentralize their data team, but they, they had, you know, a data scientist or two, a data engineer, you know, data analyst, software engineer that were associated to a domain. But they immediately started to feel very lonely because they were typically interacting with a bunch of, you know, the data engineers were typically interacting with all the other data engineers. And so, like, how do you have that chapter? Like, so much of this, so much of, of doing data right is about the people. And I know we always say that, but so much of it is really like it's going and, and maybe testing things out and not you know, flipping a switch and saying, this is now this massive change. We have completely reorged yeah. versus like uh, we're in the yeah. process of doing that. And then taking in the feedback and going, is this actually serving you how you want? Are you feeling like, yes, are you picking up the data skills or whatever, but are you also feeling okay? Right? Like, cause if yeah, people yeah, aren't yeah. feeling okay, they disengage, they look to leave you. 
you can create you can create the best on paper data process and within your organization and it doesn't work simply because everybody hates it well and a clumsy reorg can really alienate people and that's i sometimes a shakeup is required no doubt about it but if you do it in a clumsy way and people feel like whoa i don't really get why we're doing this and and especially if they have the feeling that what they had already was working then Change management is, is, is super important and, and making sure that everybody understands why the reorg is happening. Uh, communication is, is important around that. But sometimes instead of a big old reorg, it's really just about fine tuning. How can I make the connection points? And I, the hackathon idea is something that I've seen work in a number of different organizations. It was a, the, the, the customer I was presenting to earlier today, they kind of, they had people uh, congregating from all over Europe. They had their regional team sitting together in breakouts. But within that team, there was, there was an IT architect. There was the, the sales person. There was a marketing person. They, they, they really had these sort of dream teams, even though they were all coming from the same region, even though half the conversations I couldn't understand because there was an Italian one, there was a Spanish one. But, but they, 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 they really tried to mix competencies and really hopefully they'll build on that by those people going back to their teams and saying, hey, you know what? You know what they're really trying to do? Why? Why the, the most important thing for this particular organization is getting a picture of the floor tiles that they sell to the right person via the right channel at the right time at all their B2B customers. That's and I saw a number of light bulbs go on for the IT people. Oh, that's you know we've been we've been implementing the CRM system, but that's really should be the core of what we're trying to do in delighting customers and delighting the salespeople because then they have the leads that they can they can act on. Yeah. So Alice Parker from DNB was on, and she did her master's in human um, human computer systems interactions, or I can't remember the exact title, but it's it's really interesting, and so. Um, and so she like did her specific thesis on data mesh and, and, you know, working at the bank and interviewing all the different users, right. And what does user experience mean and what are you trying to do? And I think like so much of the way that we communicate, there's even, you know, studies about, uh, about brain science of when you're doing, when you're trying to take in tasks from somebody and trying to take in requirements your brain works differently than when you're just trying to storytell and share information. And so little, like we, was slow down to speed up kind of thing of like, if we don't have to do all this rework, if we actually communicate with each other as to what we're doing, yeah, it might slow us down for a quarter yeah. but, or maybe two, but you know, five, six quarters from now, we're going to be at, you know, five X better from a communication standpoint and maybe two X better from a growth standpoint than where we were like that you add significantly more connection points. And, and, you know, a lot of people have talked about in data mesh, the, um, uh, kind of enablement teams where you drop in a team into a, um, into a domain to get them up to a capability level, to up their fluency level, to own the data, to understand what that is. But there's also that, that kind of thing of, Hey, you're not talking to your users enough. 
hey, you're not talking to the people that are actually going to do this. Like, what the point is not the data. The point is not the data work. The point is what it enables and like getting people to focus on that a bit more and just, Mm -hmm. and and it's easy for, for us to say this, but then when people are like, what do I actually do? Like myself, you know, I I have just the craziest of, of schedule in a way because I can go a whole day and do absolutely nothing and no one notices. I could probably go a week and nobody really notices. It starts to become more evident, but because I'm so like, I have to, to do all these things to move the ball forward constantly. But like, there's so much of what is the tangible bit of thing that I can move forward and exchanging information doesn't feel like it's tangible. Like if, if we weren't recording this, this as a podcast episode, would I feel like, I mean, I'm enjoying the conversation. I feel like I'm learning a lot, but at the same point, am I going to feel like I did something of value just because we're exchanging information? So we need to like give people permission to be in that mode of learning from each other instead of only doing. And so, so one thing that you said that triggered me, so I studied psychology actually. Um, and, uh, one, one of the things I, people say, well, you're in IT and then and you've, you've made a career out of, of data and all, all, all that stuff. And so don't you think you should have studied something else? I say, of course not. The, the most complex system that we have in our organizations isn't a computer. It's the people who are operating the computer. So understanding the requirements is so important to, to actually executing anything in IT that's going to have any value at all. But one thing that you said that triggered me is that whole, um, the way our cognition changes between trying to get a point across and actually learning. And some people are very good at switching between those two modes in a conversation. Some people are not. And some people can only operate in the wonder, and that's fine. It takes all times. It, it, it takes a village. But real communication, if if it's a two way communication, should involve people who are switching between those two cognitive states, and that's conversation skills. That's that's very very hard to develop, uh, especially when when. <laughs> Modern world social media is just echo chambers and, and shouting matches and all of that. That's, that's something that we, we certainly cannot forget as part of our basic humanness is really listening very hard and, and being very sensitive when we try to bring points across as well. Well, yeah. And, 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 and being, yeah, that making space for people to, be comfortable in uncomfortable situations and making it like, okay. And making it, it's, it's yeah. funny how often these conversations end up in this type of, of a space, especially after we've covered some, like, you know, how do you do this? Or how do you do that? How do you do? And, and so much of it just keeps coming back to the people, but it's not when you try and put down your, your, your strategy on paper, you know, are you finding that there is a, and here's our people element aspect of it, or like, how are you finding that people are leaving the appropriate space? If somebody wants to take this conversation and say, I'm going to change the way I'm doing my work, is it only in how they, they themselves interact or how can they change their organization 
to do this appropriately so that we can get people up to data fluent without or, or up their data fluency to be more data capable to embed data into their, their things because this is so easy to overlook and it's so easy to just go, yeah, yeah, that's part of our strategy, obviously, but it's not down on paper. So does it get done? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's there's certain ways you can try to incentivize it. It's also just making the simple point clear. Look, whether you know it or not, you are using data in your day-to-day lives. And it just makes sense. We have data as a corporate asset. Why wouldn't we try to do that in our corporate lives as well? And I think that's that's probably the biggest message that any organization can try to bring to all their employees and and try to bring it in a bring it repeatedly so that they 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 can see it in their day to day working lives. But but I'm I'm kind of even pushing back and saying how do the people push it back to the organization to make sure that this is embedded, that they actually have the space to do this because it's not a deliverable as to uh, giving people the space to exchange context and build trusted relationship across organizations. You know, what I've seen is a couple of places where they say, this is your interaction time. You have three hours a week of meetings that are literally cross-functional meetings where there is no specific agenda other than to exchange contact, whether that's show and tell or meet and greets or things like that. You know, it makes me think here, here in Europe, right? And here, Belgium, there's three national languages in Belgium. There's, there's Dutch, there's French, there's German. And what, what happens then in most meetings, everybody speaks English because that's the only like politically correct choice. Right. But what happens if a, like if a person starts in an organization and they need multiple languages, HR gives them time and even budget to go out and follow language courses to make sure that they get up to speed on whatever language they don't speak that well. All right. So it's almost like data fluency should be a part of a startup track or a, a, a continuing uh, um, evolution path in an HR track for everybody in an organization that is serious about being a data-driven organization. And I, I, I'll go, I, I, I feel that any organization that isn't striving to be a data-driven organization is going to fall by the wayside. There's just no way around that. And taking it into the HR processes, I think, could be a, could be a, and have I seen organizations doing that? I think, I think some some tech companies start to try to do that, but I think all organizations, as part of their digital transformation, could try to could try to do that as well. It's an interesting uh, topic, I think. Yeah, like is, is this a KPI of like that your team has spent three hours exchanging context every week? Where it's not that there is exact like, you know, and, and it's not even just learning the data stuff. I mean, it's it's the learning about each other, learning how you could collaborate instead of we are focused on doing this one thing versus like opening up that art of the possible. But it's really, really hard to say. And here's your your here's your KPI for the art of the possible. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and especially in the current context where teams tend to be so operationally overloaded and it's like, when am I going to find time to fit that in? Right. We're going to, we're just going to sit around and brainstorm about data ideas three, three hours a week. You know what? 
I think this week and next week and the 20 weeks after that, we'll just skip that because we've got a big delivery on our ERP migration or whatever, you know, like I think it's, it's, but it has to come from the top down. The only way that those types of initiatives actually get their feet on the ground is if it's, if it's a top down initiative. And that means really bored saying we're going to do this because it's important. Yeah. Clearing that space for people and saying, this is actually a value. I know it feels like it's not, but we're going to not have you have as many deliverables simply so that you can make sure that this is is prioritized, right? And that that's what I'm asking is, is there a way for somebody to really push that up? But I don't think there is, right? Because I think it is a ridiculous ask on on its face. It makes a ton of sense in the long-term health of the organization sure. and the people, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, you could have a data season, for example. Like if there's a, if there's a, a part of the year that's a little less crunch, Probably wouldn't do it towards the end of the year, but whenever, whenever, what depending on the organization, where it's a little less and and have have seminars, have lunches, have hackathons, I think um, that that could be a great way to do it. Yeah, I, I think we just discovered a new way of doing of of upping people's data fluency. So, um, cool. Well, I mean, we we talked about a whole lot. I know we'd planned to cover a couple of different things that we didn't necessarily get to, but is there any way that anything we didn't cover that you really think people should be thinking about, or or any way you kind of want to wrap up the episode in general? No, I think in the in the whole data mesh discussion, I think one thing that needs to be central in that discussion is the customer. Right. Really, how can we make sure that we're not having those customer hiccups that can really cost the relationship with the customer? And I think um, however your data mesh is structured, um, however you're going to start to think about decentralizing some of the tasks, some of the teams, even some of the data products, however you're going to structure that, having that customer 360 view central to your data mesh concept, I think, I think is really critical. And there can be other, other important domains as well, but, the, but I think customer is king should be certainly central to all of that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it, it gets difficult because then you have the whole MDM conversation of what is sure. the exact, but, but yes, that, that there is an ability to answer questions about your customer much more easily and that you focus on, Making that not such a challenge. Across all the different silos and making sure you're not making really stupid hiccups across the different silos. Yeah, those basic blocking and tackling things are very, yeah, it's, it's easy to, to skip over those. So, well, I'm sure there's going to be um, a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Is there anything specific you'd want people following up about? Any specific place you want people following up with you? No, if if anyone's interested in hearing more about how Salesforce is working towards more data mesh pra- practices, I'm very happy to discuss that. Um, we also launched our Genie uh, uh, um, offering in at our Dreamforce in in September. Um, that's really next to the operational side of Salesforce, really creating that real-time customer view, real-time AI, so that we can avoid those hiccups. I think there's been a lot of a lot of interesting evolutions there. Also, anything AI ethics is really close to my heart. I've always been talking about that. And really, how do we make sure we keep it not just customer-centric, but human-centric? Um, very happy to have any discussions with anybody. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, to, to get in contact.
Yeah, and we'll drop a link to that in the show notes to make it easy for for folks as well. I've also follow. got a few blogs on LinkedIn about data mesh, about other uh, AI ethics, uh, other relevant topics. So feel free to uh, look into those if they're of interest. Yeah, and we'll drop links to those in the show notes as well. Again, make it as easy on the listeners as possible. Well, Andrew, thank you. Thank you so much for spending the time here with me today. And thank you, everyone out there for listening. You too, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Andrew Pease, field CTO of North Europe at Salesforce. You can find a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm. Our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.